The opinions and views expressed in this video are purely for entertainment purposes and not for investment advice. Good afternoon, goons. Thank you for coming by and watch another episode of Jack of All Trades. I'm here, unfortunately, with just uh, Sam because uh, Kaylin had a little bit of an emergency they had to take care of. So uh, rather than doing a regular episode, I this is something I've been wanting to do for a while. So this is like a good opportunity. Um, I've been wanting to kind of like run through the history of money uh, because I think it's something that um, almost nobody, uh, almost everybody knows, but hasn't strung together the story. And I think it's kind of important that people know. Um, and it starts in the, uh, 1945, right after the World War II. So um, Sam's going to do some some narration, kind of pulling up some photos as uh, as we go along. Um, anyway, I I just wanted to so yeah. Why don't we get started with um, right after the war the war then? Because um, if I if I explain what started the war, it's going to go into like a whole other thing. But just just basically know that it was over money and inflation um, actually. But um, yeah, once the war was over in 1945, the winners kind of got together in this place called Bretton Woods. You can look this stuff up and actually encourage you to. Um, so the Bretton Woods Conference, there it is. Thanks, Sam. Um, was basically where the winners kind of carved up the world for themselves uh, post-war. Um, you know, which countries are going to give them reparations and blah, blah, But the most important thing that happened at that conference was that uh, the, the, the world reserve currency became the USD. Um, and then, so how they did that was they had the USD pegged to gold. So that was once, uh, once you could call USD the greenback because it was backed by gold. Um, and the deal was, so USD is backed by gold and all the other countries in the world will, will, will do trade and commerce with USD. So, um, because it's just a lot easier to use than gold, right? But, uh, but, the, but the money is redeemable for gold um, at any time you need to. Um, so that was the um, what they worked out, and of course, what always happens when a country becomes a reserve currency is that they start printing money because it's just it's too attractive to be able to have that kind of leverage and not use it to have this lever of just kind of like making more value out of nothing, and then you don't end up holding the bag because you're a reserve currency. Everybody else is holding the bag; they lose, you don't. Right, you're basically extracting value from the people that are holding your dollars, your worthless dollars, and then you get to buy first because you're the one that prints it, right? And so naturally, what happened was uh, 1960s, uh, the U.S. started hitting a recession, um, and that's when 1971 that led to 1971, where Nixon uh, did famously uh, made gold illegal. Uh, Sam, you can pull that up. Thanks. So why did he do that? Why did he make gold illegal? Because leading up to it, the decade leading up to 1971, the country, other countries aren't stupid. They noticed the U.S. is inflating their, their currency. So imagine if you're trying to buy stuff with USD and then this jackass over here keeps printing more and more money. So then the value, what, you, what you're trying to exchange for it is becoming less. So then you're doing trade with the U.S. and you're giving them your goods. Like if you're Germany, you're giving them the Mercedes, you're giving them the BMWs, right? And then they're giving you back this dog shit dollars. By the time it hits your hand, it's not worth as much as anymore, right? So this isn't fair. So then the nations of the world started redeeming uh, the, the USD for gold. And then so what happened was the US, they, they'll never admit it, but they ran out of gold. And so that's why Reagan made gold illegal. And then he uh, made everybody kind of like 
bring in their gold and they'll pay you whatever X amount of dollars for its worth and whatnot. But um, but that's what happened. Sam, if you could pull up the one of Fort Knox. So there's always that famous um, conspiracy theory that Fort Knox is empty. Well, there's actually a very good chance that while, while it's not probably not empty, it's almost a certainty that it doesn't have the inventory that they claim it does and because it's been redeemed by foreign countries. Um, but now you, if you've ever heard that story, you kind of know why now. Um, you know, it wasn't stolen or anything. Like literally the U.S. just fucked the world and the world wanted their shit back. Um, so what happened in 1971? Well, they did a very tricky thing. They stayed, they remained the world's reserve currency because they made a deal with OPEC. Um, basically, the U.S. will protect OPEC's oil routes and territories. And in exchange, OPEC will only accept payment for oil um, in USD. And then, so that's what kept the USD as the world's reserve currency. So that's why if you've ever heard the, the term petrodollar. That's, that was the birth of the petrodollar. And so now I hope that that helps you um, kind of shed some light on why the U.S. has such a, um, an interest in the Middle East. I mean, yes, it's for oil, but now you actually know specifically why for oil and in the Middle East. It's, to, it's not because they want oil. It's because they want to continue being the world's reserve currency. At current time, I think uh, the last number I saw, there were 59% um, of the world's reserve currency. This is down quite a bit, actually. I think they lost about 10% in, in the past decade. Um, but they're still predominantly the world's reserve currency. And so they still have quite a bit of power um, and leverage over the world. As you've seen recently with the war with, uh, between Russia and Ukraine, um, you know, they can just sanction a country, shut them off, and make it very hard to do business. And, um, and so that's why, like, I thought it was important to kind of like give this a really brief, history. like, this is very abbreviated, like the whole history is very interesting. And so what I'm hoping for is that if, because I gave you these, these, these key moments in history, you would look them up yourself and kind of like string it together now, because it's actually quite interesting. Um, when you kind of know the history of money, you kind of understand the incentives for governments to do things, um, because there's a lot of stupid conspiracy theories out there. And it's made up by people who don't understand history. They've never studied it. And so like when they make it up, it seems like it seems like, you know, they strung two things that made sense together. But it's like if you actually know the real story, you're like, that's just. And so you could see from this infographic here, it is a distribution of the U.S.'s military. I'm not sure how recent this is. Uh, 2020. Oh, it's a very recent. OK, so if you look at the, the hot spots, the bases and whatnot, they have quite a bit of concentration in Kuwait, even though or Kuwait and Saudi Arabia, even though. Technically, there's nothing of interest there except the oil routes, right? Um, they're not NATO areas and they're not really anywhere near the borders of, say, unfriendly countries. Um, but there they are. Like, look at that. That giant concentration. Like, 750 bases, 20 of them are in those two little areas. Um, and so that kind of gives you an idea of how much the military spent, like why they spend so much on the military too, right? They kind of have to in order to secure oil oil trade routes um but yeah like I, I as i was saying like um so the u.s has a lot of leverage with the being world, world's reserve currency um but i think that le leverage is has been eroding uh for the last few decades but i think it's kind of hit hit a, a, a acceleration uh lately in about 12 years ago with the advent of uh, bitcoin 
because Bitcoin is for the first time ever. Bitcoin is um, an option uh, for the use of usage of money uh, for storing assets um, that isn't issued by a government or a monarchy or a tyrant or basically any person that can be infallible. Uh, um, uh, it's it's not issued by them, and so like it's just code, right? And so, like, what an amazing thing it is that the world has something like this. And I think the war with with uh, Ukraine and Russia right now is showing are showing just how useful this thing could be. I'm Sam. I don't know if you could pull it up, but I googled an article yesterday. I think it was from CNBC, and it was uh, it said the Ukrainian left with forty percent of his life savings in Bitcoin. Or he fled. Sorry, he fled um, Ukraine with forty percent of his savings in Bitcoin. And then they they basically did a whole whole story on people that were doing that. Um, he had a USB key in his pocket. Um, and I think like that just I mean, w- the those of us who understood Bitcoin early on knew that this was one of the major use cases. But it's just incredible to actually see it. People doing it in real life. Um, you know, war kind of event, right? Yeah, there it is. Because like the whole, the whole reason, like people in the first world find it very hard to under, to to understand why Bitcoin is such a unique thing, right? Because you think it's the same thing as say a debit card. You think it's the same thing as a Visa card. It's just like, it's just digital money, right? You you swipe a card, you, you, you know, hit a few keys and suddenly money transfers, right? But it's not, it's not that. It's like, who, when you're using a Visa card, you're using it because Visa allows you to. You're spending their money, not yours. You have to settle the debts just like they have to settle the debts afterwards, right? Even your own money that's supposedly yours, uh, when you keep it in a bank, it's not your money anymore. It's not under your custody. And uh, you need permission sometimes to use your own money, to send your own money. Like try sending money to Pakistan. Try sending 10 grand to Pakistan. You're going to end up on a terrorist watch list, right? And so like, Money's not really free. And this is, this is how like governments and have kept control over the people um, since forever. But like I said, now there's a, there's another option. Um, I think I posted, I don't know if Sam, if you saw this, but I posted on my story the other day. I thought it was a pretty funny analogy, but it's like, you know, the reason free market mostly works is because it's competition, right? So like when you go to a grocery store, you see, or any store really, you see like price matching, right? You go into Walmart, they're like, you see the same product somewhere else, we'll match the price. They want your business, right? Well, now for the first time ever, money has a competition. Fiat currency has competition, right? If governments want you to continue using their dog shit money, um, they have to treat you better, right? They want you to keep your wealth with fiat currency in USD. They need to treat you better. Otherwise, what if what happens if you put all your assets into Bitcoin? Then what control can they really exert over you, right? If you think about how much control they exert over people, it's not the military. That's where everybody's mind goes to first. It's like military, it's force. It's like, no, they control the military with money as well, right? So it ultimately goes down with money. Um, Rome didn't fall from an enemy. It fell from um, a collapse within. And it started because they started printing money and the military demanded that they pay them in real gold and real silver and not plated shit or they won't fight. And this is like a, 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 a cycle in history that's just continued to repeat. Well, tying that back um, to where we are now, though, when or how do you see 
people being able to use Bitcoin itself? Or do we have to go and exchange Bitcoin for like uh, different tokens like USDT or USDC, that sort of thing, to be able to use it? Oh, that's a good question. You could use it right now. I was actually just on, because um, my computer, my laptop died the other day, right? So I was just on Newegg and I was trying to price um, some equipment. You can literally go to newegg.ca and on the left-hand side, see, it says we accept crypto. Well, that, that's for online purchases though. How about if you're just going to the grocery store? Well, it's the same way swiping a credit card would work. Um, I mean, I have, I have a Visa crypto, right? I load it up with my Bitcoin, but it's, actually transferred into fiat the moment you make a purchase. But the point is like you basically use it as um, a visa card uh, or anywhere a visa is accepted. And, um, and actually, I think Apple is going to start, I forgot what service it is, but Apple is going to start integrating something into their wallet, which actually kind of in a sideways kind of way um, allows the use of crypto uh, through, with your Apple, Apple Pay. So like it's becoming more and more um or sorry it's becoming less and less difficult to spend your 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 bitcoin um but i'm glad you brought that up though because that's another misconception um that's kind of evolved over the years um i think originally when satoshi made bitcoin they did the whole crew did um envision that it would become used as money but i think over the last i'd say six seven years a lot of the ogs and I agree with this. Um, kind of, we we kind of changed our stance a little bit because um, there's a lot. There are better options to use as money, as for day to day spending. Whereas Bitcoin is more of something you want to use to store your wealth, right? You could definitely use it for high high value transactions, right? So I, I would use it to buy a car. I would use it to buy a house, maybe some expensive art. But I certainly wouldn't use it to buy a seven dollar cup of latte. Right. It's just an unnecessary usage of the network. Right. And so that's what, where lightning comes in. Actually, lightning is um, lightning addresses all the shortcomings of Bitcoin. Right. People are always like, oh, Bitcoin's slow. Uh, you know, but block gets mined every 10 minutes. So it's like, do you really want to wait 10 minutes for a, a transaction to be confirmed uh, every time you make a purchase? Well, it's like, no, I don't want to wait, but I also don't want to use it to buy coffee, too. It's just stupid. Lightning, on the other hand, is what you want to use to buy coffee. It's um, it's as fast as Visa, if not faster. It's instant. It's instant. Um, the fees are much lower than Bitcoin. Um, maybe I'll get into how it works later on. But basically, it's it's a layer two, it's a second layer um, protocol that works on top of Bitcoin. And so Bitcoin kind of secures your assets, and then Lightning on top of it says, well, now we know now that we know you have these assets, let's spend it in a way that is much faster and addresses all the shortcomings. Um, yeah, so Lightning's actually, I think last I checked, Lightning has something like three or four million uh, users right now, like something like 20, 30,000 nodes running it. I've got a Bitcoin uh, phone node, so I can run um, a Lightning channel as well. So, so say, I'll get into very little bit of technicals, but, but, but like, so if I run a phone node, I can run a channel. And then so this way, um, what it means is like, if you have, have your Bitcoin wallet, you can easily send me a few Satoshis with Lightning and, you know, go through my channel. And then so that's how we kind of commerce against each other. It's kind of like Memo. So basically, if you have the app, then you can like transfer value between each other. Um, except in this case, it's not Venmo. It's a node. It's a, it's a Lightning node. And it's not cash. It's um, Satoshis. Fractions of Bitcoins. Um, but yeah, like you could spend Bitcoin. But the whole like, the whole idea behind... 
um, Bitcoin now is more like it's used for, well, in a perfect world, what I would love to see, and this is not an original idea, a lot of the OGs would have, have said the same, like we would love to see Bitcoin become the world's reserve currency. Because it, because like for, for all the reasons that I just talked about, um, you can't have a country, um, a country's own currency as the reserve currency. Because once you have control over that currency, you're going to, you just can't help it. I don't care who you are. You just can't help but abuse that ability to print money. It just, it's, just, it's just the way it is, right? So now if you have Bitcoin um, as the reserve currency, um, then you have this asset that's provably scarce that's um easily auditable by anybody so you nobody can hide the value nobody can hide hide anything about it right and it is truly international it knows no borders it knows no boundaries right and it's somewhat instant right and so like using it for settling debts between multinational countries uh multinational corporations between countries for large purchases of oil um you know settling trade deficits uh, or for us buying a house, I think Bitcoin is a great asset um, to be used in that way. Um, and then there's a lot of better options like USDC, so whatever. There's a whole bunch of options for like everyday spending. Um, so yeah, we, we think the Bitcoin will be best served as the world's reserve currency, but that's a uh, story for another time. Um, yeah, thank you for watching. I hope this has been helpful. And um, please look up those things that I've, I've told you about um, because it's, it's very important that you actually know how these things work. All right, have a good day.